Welcome to this week in surgery your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in surgery has you covered. Our podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the surgical field. We understand that your time is valuable, so we've done the hard work for you. Each episode offers a filtered and concentrated summary of key journal articles, allowing you to stay informed without the need to sift through pages of research papers. With this week in surgery, listening is faster than reading, and you can consume valuable medical knowledge while commuting, exercising, or during your daily routine, including in the operating room. This week in surgery we will be discussing articles published in October 2023 issues. First, Annals of Surgery. Unique genomic alterations and microbial profiles identified in patients with gastric cancer of African, European, and Asian ancestry, a novel path for precision oncology. Objective. Here, we characterize differences in the genetic and microbial profiles of GC in patients of African, AFR, European, and Asian ancestry. Background. Gastric cancer, GC, is a heterogeneous disease with clinicopathologic variations due to a complex interplay of environmental and biological factors, which may affect disparities in oncologic outcomes. Methods. We identified 1,042 patients with GC with next-generation sequencing data from an institutional integrated mutation profiling of actionable cancer targets assay and the Cancer Genomic Atlas Group. Genetic ancestry was inferred from markers captured by the integrated mutation profiling of actionable cancer targets and the Cancer Genomic Atlas whole exome sequencing panels. Tumor microbial profiles were inferred from sequencing data using a validated microbiome bioinformatics pipeline. Genomic alterations and microbial profiles were compared among patients with GC of different ancestries. Results We assessed 8,023 genomic alterations. The most frequently altered genes were TP53, ARID1A, CRAS, ERBB2, and CDH1. Patients of AFR ancestry had a significantly higher rate of CCNE1 alterations and a lower rate of CRAS alterations, P less than 0.05 and patients of East Asian ancestry had a significantly lower rate of peak pathway alterations, P less than 0.05, compared with other ancestries. Microbial diversity and enrichment did not differ significantly across ancestry groups, P greater than 0.05. Conclusions Distinct patterns of genomic alterations and variations in microbial profiles were identified in patients with GC of AFR, European, and Asian ancestry. Our findings of variation in the prevalence of clinically actionable tumor alterations among ancestry groups suggest that precision medicine can mitigate oncologic disparities. Does the use of probe-based near-infrared autofluorescence parathyroid detection benefit parathyroidectomy? A randomized single-center clinical trial. Objective. To evaluate the benefits of probe-based near-infrared autofluorescence, NUROF, parathyroid identification during parathyroidectomy. Background. Intraoperative parathyroid gland identification during parathyroidectomy can be challenging, while additionally requiring costly frozen sections. Earlier studies have established NUROF detection as a reliable intraoperative adjunct for parathyroid identification. Methods. Patients undergoing parathyroidectomy for primary hyperparathyroidism were prospectively enrolled by a senior surgeon, greater than 20 years experience, 
and a junior surgeon, less than five years' experience, while being randomly allocated to the probe-based neurofor control group. Data collected included procedure type, number of parathyroids identified with high confidence by the surgeon and the resident, number of frozen sections performed, parathyroidectomy duration, and number of patients with persistent disease at the first postoperative visit. Results 160 patients were randomly enrolled under both surgeons to the probe group, N equals 80, versus control, N equals 80. In the probe group, parathyroid identification rate of the senior surgeon improved significantly from 3.2 to 3.6 parathyroids per patient, P less than 0.001, while that of the junior surgeon also rose significantly from 2.2 to 2.5 parathyroids per patient, P equals 0.001. Parathyroid identification was even more prominent for residents increasing significantly from 0.9 to 2.9 parathyroids per patient, P less than 0.001. Furthermore, there was a significant reduction in frozen sections utilized in the probe group versus control, 17 versus 47, P equals 0.005. Conclusion Probe-based NEROF detection can be a valuable intraoperative adjunct and educational tool for improving confidence in parathyroid gland identification, while potentially reducing the number of frozen sections required. Intratumoral tumor infiltrating lymphocytes TILs are associated with cell proliferation and better survival but not always with chemotherapy response in breast cancer. To investigate the clinical relevance of intratumoral tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, TILs, in breast cancer is measured by computational deconvolution of bulk tumor transcriptomes. Summary Background Data Commonly assessed TILs, located in tumor stroma without direct contact with cancer cells, stromal TILs, correlate with breast cancer treatment response and survival. The clinical relevance of intratumoral TILs has been less studied partly due to their rarity, however, they may have non-negligible effects given their direct contact with cancer cells. Methods In all, 5,870 breast cancer patients from TCGA, Metabric, GSE 96,058, GSE 25,066, GSE 163,882, GSE 123,845, and GSE 20,271 cohorts were analyzed and validated. Results The intratumoral TIL score was established by the sum of all types of lymphocytes using the Excel algorithm. This score was the highest in triple negative breast cancer, TNBC, and the lowest in the ER positive slasher 2 negative subtype. It correlated with cytolytic activity and infiltrations of dendritic cells, macrophages, and monocytes, and uniformly enriched immune-related gene sets regardless of subtype. Intratumoral till high tumors correlated with higher mutation rates and significant cell proliferation on biological, pathological, and molecular analyzes only in the ER-positive slash or 2-negative subtype. It was significantly associated with pathological complete response after anthracycline and taxin-based neoadjuvant chemotherapy in about half of the cohorts, regardless of the subtype. Intratumoral till high tumors correlated with better overall survival in HER2 positive and TNBC subtypes consistently in three cohorts. Conclusions 
Intratumoral TILs estimated by transcriptome computation were associated with increased immune response and cell proliferation in ER positive slash HER2 negative and better survival in HER2 positive and TNBC subtypes, but not always with pathological complete response after neoadjuvant chemotherapy. Efficacy of immediate lymphatic reconstruction to decrease incidence of breast cancer-related lymphedema, preliminary results of randomized controlled trial. Objective. To conduct a randomized controlled trial, RCT, on the efficacy of immediate lymphatic reconstruction, ILR, for decreasing the incidence of breast cancer-related lymphedema, BCRL, after axillary lymph node dissection, ALND. Background. Despite encouraging results in small studies, an appropriately powered RCT ILR has not been performed. Methods Women undergoing ALND for breast cancer were randomized in the operating room 1 1 to either ILR, if technically feasible, or no ILR, control. The ILR group underwent lymphatic anastomosis to a regional vein using microsurgical techniques, control group had no repair and cut lymphatics were ligated. Relative volume change RVC, bioimpedance, quality of life, call, and compression use were evaluated at baseline and every six months postoperatively up to 24 months. Indocyanine green, ICG, lymphography was performed at baseline and 12 and 24 months postoperatively. The primary outcome was the incidence of BCRL, defined as greater than or equal to 10% RVC from baseline in the affected extremity at 12, 18, or 24-month follow-up. Results. Of 72 patients randomized to ILR and 72 to control from January 2020 to March 2023, our preliminary analysis includes 99 patients with 12-month follow-up, 70 with 18-month follow-up, and 40 with 24-month follow-up. The cumulative incidence of BCRL was 9.5% in the ILR group and 32% in the control group, P equals 0.014. The ILR group had lower bioimpedance values, decreased compression usage, better lymphatic function on ICG lymphography, and better call than the control group. Conclusions Preliminary results of our RCT show that ILR after ALND decreases BCRL incidence. Our goal is to finish the accrual of 174 patients with 24-month follow-up. Next article is from JAMA Surgery. Clinical Implications of Removing Race-Corrected Pulmonary Function Tests for African-American Patients Requiring Surgery for Lung Cancer Objectives to identify how many hospitals providing lung cancer surgery use race correction, examine the association of race correction with predicted lung function, and test the effect of decorrection on surgeons' treatment recommendations. Design, Setting, and Participants In this Quality Improvement Study, Hospitals participating in a statewide quality collaborative were contacted to determine use of race correction in PFTs. For hospitals performing race correction, percent predicted preoperative and postoperative forced expiratory volume in one second, FEV1, was calculated for African-American patients who underwent lung cancer resection between January 1, 2015, and September 31, 2022, using race-corrected and race-neutral equations. 
U.S. cardiothoracic surgeons were then randomized to receive one clinical vignette that differed by the use of global lung function initiative equations for 1. African-American patients, percent predicted postoperative FEV1, 49%, 2. Other race or multiracial patients, percent predicted postoperative FEV1, 45%, and 3. Race-neutral patients, percent predicted postoperative FEV1, 42%. Results a total of 515 African American patients, 308, 59.8% female, mean, SD, age, 66.2, 9.4, years, were included in the study. 15 of the 16 hospitals, 93.8%, performing lung cancer resection for African American patients during the study period reported using race correction, which corresponds to 473 African American patients, 91.8%, having race-corrected PFTs. Among these patients, the percent predicted preoperative FEV1 and postoperative FEV1 would have decreased by 9.2%, 95% C, minus 9.0% to minus 9.5%, P less than 0.001, and 7.6%, 95% C, minus 7.3% to minus 7.9%, P less than 0.001, respectively, if race-neutral equations had been used. A total of 225 surgeons, 194 male, 87.8%, mean, SD, time in practice, 19.4, 11.3, years, were successfully randomized and completed the vignette items regarding risk perception and treatment outcomes, 76% completion rate. Surgeons randomized to the vignette with African-American race-corrected PFTs were more likely to recommend lobectomy, 79.2%, 95% C, 69.8% to 88.5%, compared with surgeons randomized to the other race or multiracial corrected, 61.7%, 95% C, 51.1% to 72.3%, P equals 0.02, or race-neutral PFTs, 52.8%, 95% C, 41.2% to 64.3%, P equals 0.001. Conclusions and relevance given the findings of this quality improvement study, surgeons should be aware of changes in PFT testing because removal of race correction PFTs may change surgeons' treatment decisions and potentially worsen existing disparities in receipt of lung cancer surgery among African-American patients. Long-term regret and satisfaction with decision following gender-affirming mastectomy. Importance There has been increasing legislative interest in regulating gender-affirming surgery, in part due to the concern about decisional regret. The regret rate following gender-affirming surgery is thought to be approximately 1%. However, previous studies relied heavily on ad hoc instruments. Objective to evaluate long-term decisional regret and satisfaction with decision using validated instruments following gender-affirming mastectomy. Design, setting, and participants for this cross-sectional study, a survey of patient-reported outcomes was sent between February 1 and July 31, 2022, to patients who had undergone gender-affirming mastectomy at a U.S. tertiary referral center between January 1, 1990 and February 29, 2020. Exposure Decisional Regret and Satisfaction with Decision to Undergo Gender-Affirming Mastectomy Main Outcomes and Measures Long-Term Patient Reported Outcomes, including the Holmes-Rovner Satisfaction with Decision Scale, 
the decision regret scale, and demographic characteristics, were collected. Additional information was collected via medical record review. Descriptive statistics and univariable analysis using Fisher Exact and Wilcoxon rank some tests were performed to compare responders and non-responders. Results a total of 235 patients were deemed eligible for the study, and 139 responded, 59.1% response rate. Median age at the time of surgery was 27.1, IQR, 23.0 to 33.4, years for responders and 26.4, IQR, 23.1 to 32.7, years for non-responders. Non-responders, N equals 96, had a longer postoperative follow-up period than responders, median follow-up, 4.6, IQR, 3.1 to 8.6, versus 3.6, IQR, 2.7 2.7 to 5.3 years, respectively, p equals 0.002. Non-responders versus responders also had lower rates of depression, 42, 44%, versus 94, 68%, p less than 0.001, and anxiety, 42, 44%, versus 97, 70%, p less than 0.001. No responders or non-responders requested or underwent a reversal procedure. The median satisfaction with decision scale score was 5.0, IQR, 5.0 to 5.0, on a 5-point scale, with higher scores noting higher satisfaction. The median decision regret scale score was 0.0, IQR, 0.0 to 0.0, on a 100-point scale, with lower scores noting lower levels of regret. A univariable regression analysis could not be performed to identify characteristics associated with low satisfaction with decision or high decisional regret due to the lack of variation in these responses. Conclusions and relevance in this cross-sectional survey study, the results of validated survey instruments indicated low rates of decisional regret and high levels of satisfaction with decision following gender-affirming mastectomy. The lack of dissatisfaction and regret impeded the ability to perform a more complex statistical analysis, highlighting the need for condition-specific instruments to assess decisional regret and satisfaction with decision following gender-affirming surgery. Association of Transport Time, Proximity, an Emergency Department Pediatric Readiness with Pediatric Survival at U.S. Trauma Centers. Objective to evaluate the association between the proximity of injury location to receiving trauma centers, including the level of ed pediatric readiness, and mortality among injured children. Design, setting, and participants This retrospective cohort study used a standardized risk adjustment model to evaluate the association between trauma center proximity, at pediatric readiness, and in hospital survival. There were 765 trauma centers, level IV, adult and pediatric, that contributed data to the National Trauma Data Bank, January 1, 2012, through December 31, 2017, and completed the 2013 National Pediatric Readiness Assessment, conducted from January 1 through August 31, 2013. Exposures Trauma Center Proximity Within 30 Minutes by Ground Transport and Ed Pediatric Readiness, as measured by Weighted Pediatric Readiness Score, WPRS, Range, 0 to 100, Quartiles 1, Low Readiness, to 4, High Readiness. Main Outcomes and Measures in Hospital Mortality We used a patient-level mixed-effects logistic regression model to evaluate the association of transport time, 
proximity, and ED pediatric readiness on mortality. Results This study included 212-689 injured children seen at 765 trauma centers. The median patient age was 10, IQR, 4-15, years, 136-538, were male, and 127-885, were white. A total of 4,156 children, 2.0%, died during their hospital stay. The median WPRS at these hospitals was 79.1, IQR, 62.9 to 92.7. A total of 105,871 children, 49.8%, were transported to trauma centers with high readiness EDS, WPRS quartile 4, and another 36,330 children, 33.7%, were injured within 30 minutes of a quartile 4 ED. After adjustment for confounders, Proximity and transport time, high pediatric readiness was associated with lower mortality, highest readiness versus lowest readiness EDS by WPRS quartiles, adjusted odds ratio, 0.65, 95% C, 0.47 to 0.89. The survival benefit of high readiness EDS persisted for transport times up to 45 minutes. The findings suggest that matching children to trauma centers with high readiness EDS within 30 minutes of the injury location may have potentially saved 468 lives, 95% C, 460-476 lives, but increasing all trauma centers to high at pediatric readiness may have potentially saved 1,655 lives, 95% C, 1647-1664 lives. Conclusions and relevance These findings suggest that trauma centers with high at pediatric readiness had lower mortality after considering transport time and proximity. Improving at pediatric readiness among all trauma centers, rather than selective transport to trauma centers with high at readiness, had the largest association with pediatric survival. Thus, increased pediatric readiness at all U.S. trauma centers may substantially improve patient outcomes after trauma. Next article is from British Journal of Surgery. Active surveillance of esophageal cancer after response to neoadjuvant chemoradiotherapy, dysphagia is uncommon. Background Active surveillance is being investigated as an alternative to standard surgery after neoadjuvant chemoradiotherapy for esophageal cancer. It is unknown whether dysphagia persists or develops when the esophagus is preserved after neoadjuvant chemoradiotherapy. The aim of this study was to assess the prevalence and severity of dysphagia during active surveillance in patients with an ongoing response. Methods Patients who underwent active surveillance were identified from the surgery as needed for esophageal cancer, SANO, trial. Patients without evidence of residual esophageal cancer until at least six months after neoadjuvant chemoradiotherapy were included. Study endpoints were assessed at time points that patients were cancer-free and remained cancer-free for the next four months. Dysphagia scores were evaluated at 6, 9, 12, and 16 months after neoadjuvant chemoradiotherapy. Scores were based on the European Organization for Research and Treatment of Cancer Esophagogastric Quality of Life Questionnaire 25, EWRQLQOG25, range 0 to 100, no to severe dysphagia. The rate of patients with A, Non-traversable stenosis was determined based on all available endoscopy reports. Results In total, 
131 patients were included, of whom 93, 71.0%, had adenocarcinoma, 93, 71.0%, had a CT34A tumor, and 33, 25.2%, had a tumor circumference of greater than 75% at endoscopy. 60.8 to 71.0% of patients completed questionnaires per time point after neoadjuvant chemoradiotherapy. At all time points after neoadjuvant chemoradiotherapy, median dysphagia scores were 0 interquartile range 0 to 0. Two patients, 1.5%, underwent an intervention for a stenosis, one underwent successful endoscopic dilatation, and the other patient required temporary tube feeding. Notably, these patients did not participate in questionnaires. Conclusion Dysphagia and clinically relevant stenosis are uncommon during active surveillance. Next article is from Surgical Endoscopy. Perioperative administration of tranexamic acid in sleeve gastrectomy to reduce hemorrhage, a double-blind randomized controlled trial. Introduction In metabolic surgery, hemorrhage is the most common major complication. This study investigated whether perioperative administration of tranexamic acid, TXA, reduced the risk of hemorrhage in patients undergoing laparoscopic sleeve gastrectomy, SG. Methods In this double-blind randomized controlled trial, patients undergoing primary SG in a high-volume bariatric hospital were randomized one-to-one, to to receive 1,500 mg TXA or placebo perioperatively. Primary outcome measure was perioperative staple line reinforcement using hemostatic clips. Secondary outcome measures were perioperative fibrin sealant use and blood loss, postoperative hemoglobin, heart rate, pain, major and minor complications, length of hospital stay, LOS, side effects of TXA, i.e., venous thrombotic event, VTE, and mortality. Results. In total, 101 patients were analyzed and received TXA, N equals 49, or placebo, N equals 52. There was no statistically significant difference in hemostatic clip devices used in both groups, 69% versus 83%, P equals 0.161. TXA administration showed significant positive changes in hemoglobin levels, millimoles per liter, 0.55 versus 0.80, P equals 0.013, in heart rate, beats per minute, minus 4.6 versus 2.5, P equals 0.013, in minor complications, Clavindindo less than or equal to 2, 2.0% versus 17.3%, P equals 0.016, and in mean loss, hours, 30.8 versus 36.7, P equals 0.013. One patient in the placebo group underwent radiological intervention for postoperative hemorrhage. No VTE or mortality was reported. Conclusion This study did not demonstrate a statistically significant difference in use of hemostatic clip devices and major complications after perioperative administration of TXA. However, TXA seems to have positive effects on clinical parameters, minor complications, and loss in patients undergoing SG, without increasing the risk of VTE. Larger studies are needed to investigate the effect of TXA on postoperative major complications.
Next article is from Annals of Surgical Oncology. Predictors of Early versus Late Recurrence in Invasive Lobular Carcinoma of the Breast, Impact of Local and Systemic Therapy Background Invasive lobular carcinoma, ILC, of the breast is known for high risk of late recurrence, yet some patients still recur within five years of diagnosis. Determining factors associated with early-slash-late recurrence could help tailor treatment and surveillance strategies. Methods Using an institutional database, we evaluated patients with ILC in greater than or equal to 5 years of follow-up or recurrence within 5 years. We used multivariate logistic regression and the Kaplan-Meier method to evaluate which clinicopathologic features and treatment strategies were associated with recurrence less than 5 years since diagnosis versus recurrence greater than or equal to 5 years since diagnosis. Additionally, we explored the association between clinical treatment score 5, CTS 5, with early versus late recurrence. Results Among 513 cases of stage I3 ILC, there were 75 early and 54 late recurrences during a median follow-up period of 9.4 years. Early recurrence was associated with larger tumors, mean 4.2 cm versus 2.9 cm, p less than 0.0001, higher incidence of greater than 3 positive nodes, 32.4% versus 9.11%, p greater than 0.0001, and more aggressive tumor biology, low-slash-negative progesterone receptor expression, higher grade, and higher key 67. Late recurrence was associated with younger age, mean 55.6 versus 59.2 years, p equals 0.037, and elevated body mass index, BMI greater than 25 kg m2 in 60. 1.0% versus 45.4%, p equals 0.021. Emission of adjuvant endocrine therapy or radiotherapy after lumpectomy conferred increased risk of early rather than late recurrence. Conclusion Factors related to tumor aggressiveness and treatment were associated with early recurrence, whereas patient-related factors were related to late recurrence. These data may help guide treatment strategies and surveillance approaches for patients with ILC. Next article is from Obesity Surgery. Portomesenteric vein thrombosis in patients undergoing sleeve gastrectomy, an updated systematic review and meta-analysis of 101,914 patients. Introduction Portomesenteric vein thrombosis, PMVT, is a rare but potentially fatal complication of sleeve gastrectomy, SG. The rising prevalence of SG has led to a surge in the occurrence of PMVT, while the associated risk factors have not been fully elucidated. This study aims to determine the incidence and risk factors of PMVT in patients undergoing SG. Methods A comprehensive literature search was performed in PubMed and in base databases. Proportion and regression meta-analyses were conducted. Results In a total of 76 studies including 101,914 patients undergoing SG, we identified 357 patients with PMVT. Mean follow-up was 14.4, SD, 16.3, months. The incidence of PMVT was found to be 0.50%, 95% C, 0.40 to 0.61%. The majority of the population presented with abdominal pain, 
91.8%, at an average of 22.4 days postoperatively and PMVT was mainly diagnosed with computed tomography, CT 96.0%. Hematologic abnormalities predisposing to thrombophilia were identified in 34.9% of the population. Advanced age, P equals 0.02, and low center volume, P less than 0.0001, were significantly associated with PMVT, while gender, BMI, hematologic abnormality, prior history of deep vein thrombosis or pulmonary embolism, type of prophylactic anticoagulation, and duration of prophylactic anticoagulation were not associated with the incidence of PMVT in meta-regression analyses. Treatment included therapeutic anticoagulation in 93.4%, and the mortality rate was 4,357, 1.1%. Conclusion PMVT is a rare complication of sleeve gastrectomy with an incidence rate less than 1% that is associated with low center volume and advanced age but is not affected by the duration or type of thromboprophylaxis administered postoperatively. Next article is from Journal of the American College of Surgeons. Robotic Enhanced View Totally Extraperitoneal versus Intraperitoneal Online Mesh Evaluation, One-Year Exploratory Outcomes of the Reveal Randomized Clinical Trial. Background. Patients with small to medium-sized ventral hernias randomized to Robotic Enhanced View Totally Extraperitoneal, ETEP, or Robotic Intraperitoneal Online Mesh, RIPOM, previously demonstrated comparable 30-day patient reported outcomes. Here we report one-year exploratory outcomes for this multi-center, patient-blinded randomized clinical trial. Study design. Patients with midline ventral hernias 7 cm wide or less undergoing mesh repair were randomized to robotic ETEP or RIPOM. Planned exploratory outcomes at one year include pain intensity, using the patient-reported outcomes measurement information system, PROMISE 3A, Hernia-Related Quality of Life Survey, Herkels, Scores, Pragmatic Hernia Recurrence, and Reoperation. Results 100 randomized patients, 51 ETEP, 49 RIPOM, reached a median 12-month follow-up, interquartile range 11 to 13, with 7% lost. After regression analysis adjusting for baseline scores, there was no difference in postoperative pain intensity at one year for ETEP compared with RIPOM, odds ratio, or 2.1, 95% C0.85 to 5.1, P equals 0.11. Herkel's scores were 15 points lower on average, E less improved, at one year after ETEP repairs compared with RIPOM, a difference maintained after regression analysis, or 0.31, 95% C0.15 to 0.67, P equals 0.003. Pragmatic hernia recurrence was 12.2%, 6 of 49, for ETEP and 15.9%, 7 of 44, for RIPOM, P equals 0.834. In the first year, two ETEP and one RIPOM patients required reoperations related to their index repair, P equals 0.82. Conclusions Exploratory analyzes showed similar outcomes at one year in regard to pain, hernia recurrence, and reoperation. Abdominal wall quality of life at one year appears to favor RIPOM, and the possibility that an ETEP dissection is less advantageous in that regard should be the subject of future investigation.
Opioid Sparing Protocol for Endocrine Surgery, Osprey, a Perspective Study. Background Thyroid and parathyroid operations are among the most commonly performed surgeries in the world, however, there remains a paucity of prospective clinical trials evaluating the efficacy of opioid sparing protocols after surgery. Study Design This prospective non-randomized study was performed between March and October 2021. Participants self-selected their cohort of either an opioid-sparing protocol of acetaminophen-slash-ibuprofen or a treatment-as-usual protocol with opioids. Primary endpoints were overall benefit of analgesia scores, OBAS and opioid use as reported in daily medication logs. Data were recorded for seven days. Multivariable regression, pooled variance t-tests, Mann-Whitney test, and chi-square tests were used to evaluate the results. Results A total of 87 participants were recruited, 48 participants opted for the opioid-sparing arm, and 39 participants opted for the treatment-as-usual arm. Patients in the opioid-sparing arm used significantly fewer opioids, morphine equivalent 0.77 plus or minus 1.71 versus 3.34 plus or minus 5.87, p equals 0.042, but had no significant difference in ABA. P equals 0.37. Multivariable regression analysis demonstrated no significant difference in mean ABA between treatment arms when controlling for age, sex, and type of surgery. P equals 0.88. There were no major adverse events in either group. Conclusions An opioid sparing treatment algorithm based on the use of acetaminophen slash ibuprofen may offer a safe and effective treatment algorithm compared to a primary opioid focused treatment pathway. Randomized adequately powered studies are needed to confirm these findings. Next article is from Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. Reclaiming the Management of Common Duct Stones in Acute Care Surgery. Background Acute Care Surgery, ACS is well-positioned to manage cholecholithiasis at the time of laparoscopic cholecystectomy, but barriers to laparoscopic common bile duct exploration, LCEBT, include experience and the perceived need for specialized equipment. The technical complexity of this pathway is generally seen as challenging. As such, LCEBT is historically relegated to the enthusiast. However, a simplified, Effective LCF technique as part of a surgery-first strategy could drive wider adoption in the specialty most often managing these patients. To determine efficacy and safety, we sought to compare our initial ACS-driven experience with a simple, fluoroscopy-guided, catheter-based LCF approach during laparoscopic cholecystectomy, LC, to LC with endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography, ERCP. Methods we reviewed ACS patients who underwent LCEBT or LC plus ERCP pre-postoperative at a tertiary care center in the four years since starting the surgery-first approach. Demographics, outcomes, and length of stay (LOS) were compared on an intention-to-treat basis. Laparoscopic common bile duct exploration was performed via using wire-slash-catheter Seldinger techniques under fluoroscopic guidance with flushing or balloon dilation of the sphincter as needed. Our primary outcomes were loss and successful duct clearance. Results 180 patients were treated for cholecholithiasis with 71 undergoing LCEBT. The success rate of catheter-based LCEBT was 70.4%.
Length of stay was significantly reduced for the LCEB group compared with the LC plus ERCP group, 48.8 versus 84.3 hours, P less than 0.01. Of note, there were no intraoperative or postoperative complications in the LCEB group. Conclusion A simplified catheter-based approach to LCEB is safe and associated with decreased loss when compared with LC plus ERCP. This simplified step-up approach may help facilitate wider LCF utilization by ACS-PROV. Next article is from the American Journal of Surgery. Hub and Spoke Framework for Study of Surgical Centralization within United States Health Systems. Background Hospital consolidation into health systems has mixed effects on surgical quality, potentially related to degree of surgical centralization at high-volume, hub, sites. We developed a novel measure of centralization and evaluated a hub-and-spoke framework. Methods Surgical centralization within health systems was measured using hospital surgical volumes, American Hospital Association, and Health System Data, Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. Hub and spoke hospitals were compared using mixed effects logistic regression and system characteristics associated with surgical centralization were identified using a linear model. Results Within 382 health systems containing 3,022 hospitals, system hubs perform 63% of cases, IQR 40-84%. Hubs are larger, in metropolitan and urban areas, and more often academically affiliated. Degree of surgical centralization varies tenfold. Larger, multi-state, and investor-owned systems are less centralized. Adjusting for these factors, there is less centralization among teaching systems, P less than 0.001. Conclusions A hub-spoke framework applies to most health systems but centralization varies significantly. Future studies of health system surgical care should assess the contributions of surgical centralization and teaching status on differential quality. Next article is from World Journal of Surgery. Synthetic versus Biological Mesh in Ventral Hernia Repair and Abdominal Wall Reconstruction a systematic review and recommendations from evidence-based medicine. AIM To compare the efficacy and safety of synthetic and biological meshes in ventral hernia repair, VHR, and abdominal wall reconstruction, AWR. Methods We screened all clinical trials that reported the application of synthetic and biological meshes in VHR and AWR using Medline, Web of Science, and Embase, Ovid. Only comparative studies with similar baselines such as age, sex, body mass index, degree of wound contamination, and hernia defects between the intervention and control groups were included. Effect sizes with 95% confidence were pooled using a random or fixed effects model based on the size of heterogeneity. A sensitivity analysis was performed to test the stability of the results. Results 10 studies with 1,305 participants were included. Biological meshes were associated with significantly higher recurrence rate, or 2.09, 95% C1.42 to 3.08, I2 equals 50%, surgical site infection, or 1.47, 95% C1.10 to 
I2 equals 30%, higher readmission rate, or, 1.51, 95% C1.05 to 2.17, I2 equals 50%, and longer length of hospital stay, SMD, 0.37, 95% C0.10 to 0.65, I2 equals 72%. Similar surgical site occurrence, reoperation rate, and mesh explantation rate were observed among biological and synthetic meshes. Biological meshes have no difference in recurrence rate as compared to synthetic meshes, between the clean contaminated, and contamination infected fields, or, 1.41, 95% C0.41 to 4.87 versus 3.00, 95% C1.07 to 8.46, P equals 0.36. Conclusion Synthetic meshes are a safe alternative to biological meshes for VHR and AWR. Considering the high cost of biological meshes, synthetic meshes are more appropriate for the VHR and AWR. Thank you for listening to this week in surgery, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead. Stay blessed and be humane.